Hey, this is Steve Balton, and you are here on My Turning Point today, where we are so privileged to have with us Hozier. Met up with him at the Grammy Museum before he performed there for a fascinating conversation about music, his podcast, and a lot about poetry. So hope you enjoy the greatest poetry class you will ever take with Hozier. So, so for you, what is a turning point moment? And and just so you know, some people go very professional. Mm-hmm. Some people go deeply personal. Mm-hmm. There is no right or wrong. It's yeah. just kind of whatever comes to mind that you feel yeah. led you to be at the Grammy Museum sitting under the Clive Davis Theater sign yeah. on this particular Wednesday night. Yeah. Um, it's it's a tricky one, and there's definitely a few. There'd be a few turning points, and there'd be a few ones that are in the professional sphere and some in the personal sphere, I think, um I think the one that kind of made the most difference starting out and before I was releasing music was just making the decision to do as much as I could to produce uh, produce stuff myself. And that, that, that I arrived at that, number one, kind of getting into studio with a few different producers, self-funding a few, a few recording projects and then, and, then, um, and then getting other opportunities, but realizing I didn't have the skills to communicate uh, as best I could what it was that I wanted from the music and what I wanted from the atmosphere and, and the, the feeling of the music um, and my uncle was super uh, supportive at, and was kind of always pushing me on and he, he actually like bought me some, some kind of recording uh, software uh, before you know when I certainly couldn't afford for like investments <laughs> like that and um, and just kind of just pushed me to just make, make sense of it myself and just kind of throw shit at the wall as, as it were and um and, and that getting getting comfortable with that and sitting in that space and just learning by doing and deciding that I wasn't you know and it came, it arrived at not being happy with what I was recording and then just look I'm gonna sit at home kind of retreated to it to a space retreated to the attic and just produced as best I could the sound and the feel of the work that I that I wanted out of it and um, that my f- the first time doing that, that you know my first EP the first songs recorded I kind of took those took those bare bones stuff to a guy called Rob Kirwan who was a producer and then we just re-recorded the elements to get the digital side out of there get the demo uh, kind of logic uh, logic MIDI samples out of there and that that's that was everything then my you know within a year I was kind of I suppose I was nominated for you know <laughs> like Grammys and stuff like that so it was crazy but that to me was a big decision and you know just to learn by doing it take take the work into my own hands a bit more you know well a couple directions to go with that one how old were you when that started um I would have been early very early 20s I think so you know I was in college 19 20 studying music in university a very history based very theory based it just it wasn't for me it wouldn't have been for me but then I also had opportunities to do some label do some studio time funded by label that coincided or clashed with exam schedules and I chose I chose the, the studio time as you do um, I ended up kind of making the decision to leave college knowing that I, I would have to these were skills I would have to learn for ma- making contemporary popular song as opposed to spending my face in a book, you know, spending my life with my head in, in books, learning about uh, historical theory. Um, and, uh, but that's so interesting army. because I, I would imagine as you found, as you've gone on, mm-hmm. that that historical theory has stuck with you more. 
and and probably influence even some of the older sound. And it's funny because I know, for example, I was reading an interview you did, and you referenced Tom Waits, who is to me the greatest fucking songwriter who ever lived, <laughs> bar none. Yeah. And there's a guy when I've gotten to interview him, and when he does interviews, his publicist was telling me he reads the newspaper ahead of time, so he has things right. to talk about. Interesting. So you have to have that wealth of knowledge. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Tom Waits was a huge, huge influence for me. At 14 or 15, I discovered his, his, his work, and it was just like nothing else. So his... Um, Still is like nothing else. Yeah, totally. Yeah, it's totally like nothing else. And the way his career, the way he just, he changed and he evolved, and the voice that he used, the characters he kind of, the, his lyricism, but the, the, the worlds he kind of painted and the characters he populated them with, um, falling in love with like the Alice album and, and even, you know, uh, Blood Money and, and and just being kind of getting lost in his work like you, like you do in a, in a scary but wonderful forest, you know, <laughs> like, and just kind of, that, that was, he was, a, that was a big deal for me. Um, but yeah, that, I, I sang in a choir for a long time which was like an ancient music choir. There were an Irish group called An, an Una, and they sing, so they sing, like, you'd be learning songs in Latin, you'd be learning songs in Middle Spanish, so that's, like, Spanish from the Middle Ages, like, Gaelic, you know, and Scots Gaelic, and then, so songs that are, like, super, super old, mad, crazy harmonies, some very, very beautiful arrangements, and that as well, too. Yeah, just just having that, just having that little bit of, of that's something else, just a little bit to your palate, you know, I suppose, or adding, adding that to it the way it, it just informed the way I kind of thought about harmony and, and human voices and I'm still most of my songs are cute like a lot they lean a lot on human voices and harmony you know so stuff like that is it is helpful in the long run you know alright so so before we come on to that one Tom Waits song you wish you had written and why okay um, I think that's super super hard I keep coming back to Soldier's Things uh, which I think was on Swordfish from Bones he it, later in his career he's, he's done a bit more stuff that is could be you know, it's a bit more angry and it's a bit more like protest, what you could maybe refer to as protest uh, music. Um, Soldier's Things is such, I mean, it's melodically beautiful and the piano performance is gorgeous. But when you, bo- when you boil it down to it, 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 it also is it's this very, very stunning, very subtly uh, executed, but stunning kind of anti, anti-war song. It can be interpreted as that. Here is, this, here is the, the work and the deeds and the valour of a man being boiled down to everything's a dollar in this box you know that that being the lyric uh, this one's for bravery oh and this one's for me it's this character who's just come into um ownership of of a man's uh, life and his possessions as as a soldier and is now selling selling them for for change you know um there's a there's a real sadness to that and it's it's, it's such a beautiful kind of picture and in, in, in a very very sad way to me that that's a, it's always i always come back to it i don't know I mean, you can't really go wrong with it, but it's interesting something you said because it's like I go all the way back to a song like Ruby's Arms, which yeah. is about a soldier leaving. Right. And there's another one now that I'm drawing a damn blank on, and it's it's one of the best protest songs you'll ever hear. Mm-hmm. And it's not Soldier's Things, and it's going to drive me nuts, but I don't want to look it up now. But it's it, what you. But what's interesting about it is, as you say, I mean, it's funny because you've talked about the fact that you do write, mm-hmm. you know, from a socially conscious perspective. But the best socially conscious writing mm-hmm. is always personal. It always comes from a place of whether I always look at like John Lennon. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, to- totally. And I think if you can capture the personal experience, um, be, I'd be of the belief that the personal is the political. You know what I mean? And when you, you know, it's just what we call the political. Uh, it is. A, it's it's an amalgam of 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 a large scale group of of very personal experiences. You know. You know. Um, but is it, is it a song from Real Gone? Or is it Hoist That Rag? Or, or no. 
I'm looking it up. Road to Peace as well was this. No, it's going to fucking bug me now. Okay. Bella Ciao. Oh. Bella Ciao was, yeah. That... No, that's not it. Okay. That was recent. That was this year. Fuck. Goodbye, beautiful. Day after tomorrow. Day after tomorrow. Oh, yes. 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 On the day after tomorrow. What, was that was that Real Gone or was that from the Bastards album? Or from uh, the... Real Gone. Real Gone. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, it was just going to bug the hell out of me. Yeah. And as you see, these are unscripted. So I'm like, I don't fucking know the name of it, but yeah, yes. That's a stunning song. It's been a while, actually, since I heard it's that. It's such a beautiful song. But it, again, it, it does tie in with what we're talking about. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting when you say the personal and the political is, a, is an amalgam. And, you know, I, I think for you, you know, you mentioned Tom Waits. And then we can talk about, like, I mentioned John Lennon. Mm -hmm. You know, as you've started to get more into it. And the other thing I found from talking with artists, the more, the older you get and the more sort of, um, I guess, attention you get, yeah. the more it becomes important to use that voice. Sometimes it can feel that way, yeah. Um, sometimes it can feel that way. Did, did you get asked the question like, do you, do you feel it or do? And I, I think like, do artists have a duty, quote unquote? Let's say, uh, I, I, I don't know how I, how I feel about that. And I, I think, I think it's personal to the person. But like, for example, I'll, I'll use like I was talking with Gary Clark Jr., who mm. I'm a huge fan of, right? Yeah. yeah and incredible. he was talking about the fact that you know, as he became a father in his thirties. His yes. perspective changed, and he's like, in my twenties, I wanted to have fun. Mm -hmm. I wanted to have a good time. And as you become a father, you're so as I said, I don't even know if I'm not. I'm not arguing so much. It has as much to do with the responsibility of the art. I think it's more to do with age. Yeah. And as you become older, you become more conscious. Yeah. Of yeah. the fact, like, okay, I can actually make a difference doing this. There's, yeah, totally. Has that been the case for you? There's, there's that. You do feel like the, you have the ability to do that, and you, you kind of think if, if, if you really. If you're earnest in what what your convictions are, and you feel strongly about something, um, if you have in any way, and yeah, your efforts might fall flat in your face, and you might, and this is what a lot of artists are afraid of. They might be mocked for it. They might be criticized for it. They might be doing it the wrong way. They don't want to stick their neck above the parapet, uh, have it have have some <laughs> fruit thrown at it. Um, but um, if if you're earnest about it, and you feel, and you feel, look, there's something you can do, or there's you know just to ameliorate that issue, whatever that issue is that you're is. Um, that's grinding against your conscience, you know. <laughs> uh, fuck it, yeah, do it. And another thing as well to maybe about getting older is that you realize that part of it, you may be starting off, you're like, oh, I have to be subtle about this. And you want to be, you know, gentle about the way you, you, you say things about the, you know, the issues or you, for fear that you got upset anybody or, 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 you know. But like, you have to be subtle about the way that you approach your criticisms. But then maybe as you get older, you realize, but there's nothing fucking subtle about the issues that piss you <laughs> off. You know, there's nothing subtle about... Um, about about the legacy of let's say war. There's nothing subtle about poverty. There's nothing subtle about racism. Let's say, um, it's fucking blinding and it's deeply deeply upsetting. Um, so yeah, why why be subtle as well too about your approach to it? And you kind of just care less, you know, about well if I offend somebody, yeah, you know, who cares? You know. Well, it's funny because I've I've always believed as someone who gets to talk to a shit ton of artists, you know, that if you are trying to please everyone, you're doing it wrong. But it's interesting for you as you found and and I found I mean here in the states what I found and it was really fascinating. I kind of did my own sociological experiment from December 2016 mm -hmm. through the middle of 2018. Every single person I interviewed, it didn't matter whether it was Metallica, whether it was Depeche Mode, it didn't matter whether they were from the States, whether they were, you know, whatever, spoke to them about writing and recording under this administration. Mm -hmm. And what everybody felt was that it did change things. Mm -hmm. And it was interesting because I don't know if you found this from your audience response, but I found a, a very sizable shift from watching the audiences in the States. Mm -hmm. They wanted more socially conscious music. Interesting. And, and you could not... 
any you, you couldn't any longer just not take a stand mm-hmm. because the country as a whole at least on our side mm-hmm. has been so divided mm-hmm. yeah. you know and obviously talking with a lot of British musicians with the Brexit thing there's that yeah so for you did you find that from your audience that they were sort of hungering for that more and and uh, just as a quick aside of that I started talking with artists like Lumineers and Zed, yeah. who you know are of a similar age, mm-hmm. who started doing their own benefits. Yes, yeah, yeah, totally. Um, I do find that I'm like my songs have not, even when I wasn't conscious about it. And sometimes the songs aren't consciously trying. I'm going to write a song about social issues, or uh, <laughs> you know that it's never an approach uh, like that. It's kind of just what what filters through and some personal. You know, some element of the personal, which absolutely is, you know, resonates with a larger issue. Um, but yeah, possibly so. I'm always a little bit afraid to, um, I won't say afraid, but reluctant to stand on a show where people have, have paid tickets to see me sing songs uh, to start speaking or to, to offer speeches, you know. Um, I think that's a, for, I don't know, like, I, I worry that maybe that's a, that's a, that's thin, thin ice, but, um, but maybe not, you know, but people sometimes do want, want to hear that. And, um, I, I think th- it depends on the, I mean, I think it's, it's, the, it's interesting you say that and not to interrupt you. Yeah. I think it just depends on the relationship the artist builds with the audience. Yeah, true. Because my favorite artist of all time is Springsteen. Yes. And yeah. he can get up and do it all day long. If you go see Tom Waits and he doesn't talk, you're like, dude, what yeah. the hell's wrong? Right. Yeah. yeah but if you're yeah. going to see, for example, Metallica, who yeah. I like those guys and I know those guys, yeah, yeah. but they've talked about the fact our audience is split and right. we don't want to divide them. Right, so okay. I think it depends on, but yeah. it's interesting that do you feel like thinking from that perspective that you kind of have built that relationship with your audience? Yeah, I, I don't know. I think it's weird. It's a funny one. I, I think I know that, the, well, I, I'm pretty sure the audience n- knows where, where, where my heart is, you know, on a lot of issues. Um, and it, it can be that tricky one as well too. Like, yeah, it's under this administration, let's say, or like post-Brexit Britain, uh, Ireland as well, too. There is there is an international kind of what we could call ultra-nationalist or sort of a, a right-wing upsurge uh, across the globe. Um, and when we get into kind of conversations of, of, of left and right, uh, oftentimes that, that's language that, that is, can be used more so to divide us and is, is used often to, you know... Uh, to divide uh, citizens and, and and workers, let's say, as opposed to, but it's 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 I find it's a, it's a, something you have to be very very careful of. But I think it's a good, I don't know, I, I do I would agree with it, as you, the sentiment that artists are saying that yeah, it does it does change things and you you don't feel like you can ignore it. It's like such a it's a steaming shit elephant in the room. You just have to, you know, it's a it's a it's a big thing. You you can't ignore it. It has to it has to come into your work and. Um, I think it's it's I think it's it's healthy and restorative for people to stand in a communal space like a show and a gig, uh, like that, and they're they're connected with yeah you're connected with the love of, of music but then also to have your values resonate with one another that's that's a really that's a restorative thing and that's that's a that's an encouraging thing you know when it's it's funny for you growing up was there that first show where you had that experience? Um, let me just think. When you have kind of values, I think. There's a few. There's a few I can think of. Uh, I have to be old enough then to start resonating with, like actually thinking consciously about the gig. Um, there's, I don't know. It, it, let me just think about 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 political issues. Maybe. I don't necessarily like political issues. issues. Just that feeling that where you just feel like you're part of a communal experience where everybody's in the same place. Yeah. And especially because also I think what's so interesting about look music can mm-hmm. be that thing that that 
bonds people who feel alienated. It's mm-hmm. I think the best thing about music. It's funny. I don't even think it's the political. I think it's the fact that you know when you feel like an outcast. Yeah. There is that thing where you're like, oh shit, okay, so maybe, you know. Totally, totally. I can, I can think of a few examples. There's one band, much, much loved at home, Glenn Hansard's uh, band, The Frames, was super, super popular, like, is incredibly popular. Um, Dublin-based, uh, real, like, you know, home, home, home heroes in, in that regard, but write songs about Dublin as well, too, and, like, from, an, from intimate knowledge of living in Dublin, etc. So being in a show, I remember being a young kid, being in a show like that, there's a lot of very, very lovely moments, but there is that, that you know, you feel like you're part, here's a, it'd be like being in Jersey at a Bruce Springsteen concert, you know, um, that, that feeling of home, home and music and, and, and community being part of that, being part of that show. And that's, that's, a, that's a special thing, you know. Let's go back to what you were saying about the writing too, because it's fascinating. It's funny because you were saying that, you know, oftentimes you don't set out to write a political. Well, I think if you set out to write a political, like I always mm-hmm. use this example, right? I love Neil Young. Neil mm-hmm. Young is one of the greatest artists of all time. Let's Impeach the President is one of the worst pieces of shit songs ever written. <laughs> okay. Because, I haven't listened to it yet. But. Well, you should listen because it was just this, the most heavy handed, okay. you know, no subtlety. And again, mm-hmm. every artist is, every great artist is entitled to one crap song. Yeah. But well, so it's interesting. Hopefully a few more. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, but you know, you're 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 forgiven. You know, it's like the the high fidelity movie and the whole conversation about Stevie Wonder. I just called to say I love you. Yes, yeah. Does it does it detract from the '70s stuff? Not at all. Not at all. Yeah, Not yeah. at all. Stevie's still the greatest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, but this being said, the reason I said it is because it's funny. I think when people people are aware when you're trying too hard. Yeah. So it's interesting for you I, with the idea that writing is subconscious and most great writing is subconscious. Mm-hmm. When you go back and listen to the songs, whether especially it's the songs from the first album, because now you've had a few years between them, mm-hmm. or even from Wasteland Baby, are mm-hmm. there lyrics or moments that you were surprised to find, okay, these are the issues that were resonating with me, because maybe you weren't even aware yeah. that these were the things that were concerning you. Yeah, it's it's usually, I'm sure there is examples of that. Um, I'm sure, that I think... I think there's definitely examples, let's say in the first album with song, a song like From Eden, etc., it, it's. I think it's just a general filtering of of like of how how you feel the world is going. So uh, innocence, whatever it is, whatever the lyric is, uh, idealism sits in prison. Uh, chivalry fell on his sword. Uh, you know, innocence died screaming, uh, etc. So it's just that feeling of okay, well, like things things are going 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 south. They're going the wrong way. Um, part of it as well too is I'd, I'd make subtle references to or try to make references to other artists who have pointed in 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 the same direction. So. I think on the EP before I released the album. Um, I don't know. Uh, like, let's say there's a song called "Nothing Fucks with My Baby," which is again was pretty heavy-handed. Like, I'm, <laughs> I'm guilty of a few heavy-handed uh, songs. But uh, the song starts off when, when I when I f- first saw you. The end was soon. To Bethlehem it slouched, and then it must have caught a good look at you, which is kind of referencing this old W. B. Yeats poem uh, called "The Second Coming." that describes this rough beast it's our come round at last slouching towards Bethlehem to be born and he was he was kind of channeling this was pre-World War II kind of channeling this this awful uh, murderous feeling in the air that, that, that he felt was, was on the way uh, soon before he died um, and he was absolutely right you know um, so it's kind of just I don't know it's, it's, I do find that, yeah you do sometimes you, you channel it you know but um, uh, in different in different ways, and, and usually it is the best way because it 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 just it's it feels natural and it feels right. But when you are 
when you're in your head going, look, very important, must write this song, demonstrate X, Y, Z, you know, you're finding yeah. ways to hide it and, and it just, yeah, it can be, it can try too hard. I'm going to say, by the way, too, I don't think you can go heavy handed with Yates because <laughs> I think that a vast majority of the audience is not going to know what that is. Maybe not. So that's actually cool that you're sort of educating them. Uh, on that now it's fascinating then are there other poets that that you have found either creep into your work or that you would love to bring in there in some capacity obviously organically versus simply like okay now I'm gonna write a freaking you know my my song of innocence yeah yeah Um, there's a lot yeah a lot of Irish poets so Oscar Wilde comes into to some of the work some of the kind of in the first album in particular there's a sort of a fairy tale aspect to some of the songs like a song called In the Woods Somewhere a song called Like Real People Do um, um, I kind of fell in love as a, as, a, as a young in my young 20s in my late teens fell in love with his 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 work his poetry as well too I think I borrowed a kind of a line from, from an Oscar Wilde poem in from Eden A Rope in Hand it, he has this lovely uh, love love poem which is like saying all these wonderful things you know I let's have a picnic etc whatever it's very ideal sort of scene <laughs> and it's you know a uh, picnic basket etc a rope in hand for your for your man so it's you know for your other man to like to to hang him basically and and it's a, it's the, and the for your other man it's a dude on the outside of a you know wanting to kill the 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 rightful lover of, of this woman basically <laughs> which is revealed at the end of the poem um so i think yeah i borrowed i yeah, so definitely but in particular more so there's an irish poet called Seamus Heaney who is a, a Nobel Prize winner and, and stunning, stunning poet and uh, translator. And his work, hands down, finds its way into my work. And the way he writes about the land and the way he writes about Ireland, that gained, that offered me a kind of a a, a language that, or an under, like just a, a new way to appreciate what I already knew, you know, or what I'd already experienced growing up, albeit written in such a beautiful way and, 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 and kind of, perfectly clarified in his work that I, I just hadn't uh, I'd you know astounded me but it's still it definitely finds its way if I'm writing stuff that that's nat- naturalistic in some way or has imagery about about the land etc definitely yeah hands down it's interesting so it's funny because I'm sure that you know now that you do the podcast which we were talking about before we came on air as I said yeah. you know it's I'm sure the question you get asked most is oh what musician would you want on there what artist mm-hmm. fuck that what Irish poet, dead or alive, would you want to talk to for the show? Hands down, Seamus Heaney. Hands down. Like, if I, my biggest regret is never, never getting to meet that man. I met his, I met his daughter recently, um, and it was so, it's such a strange. I could, I, oh, it was after show. I was just gushing, like, just like you know, being like, <laughs> look, this is you know what his work has kind of has meant for me, in the la- and especially being away from home. Uh, I used to like listen to, I'd sit in my bunk and like listen to recordings of him just reading, reciting his own work. Just you know, as hearing a poet as well read it to his own cadence, to his own rhythm, to in his own voice. It's how how he hears it in his head, and the, and the music is. It's like listen to if you listen to T. S. Eliot, um, reading his poetry. I don't know. I think it just offers something. Like this is for any poetry nerds that what you know what I mean. It, it's it's it's. A See, I was an thing. English major, so this is fat. Yeah, yeah. And it's because it's funny. I had uh, I was hanging out recently for a Forbes article, Tegan and Sarah, who I absolutely love. Mm-hmm. And we were talking about the fact that Sarah was saying that one of the things that really influenced her was poetry because it helped her to write lyrics. And it's a fascinating thing because I would imagine poetry plays such a part in the lyric writing because having written poetry, albeit very shitty poetry, I do know that no words are wasted in poetry. Yeah, It's, it's, it's different than writing a novel. It's certainly different than writing an article. Yeah. So talk about how you feel that that's influenced your, your writing. I, th- I think... 
I think it's, I think if nothing else, it sets a, a standard which is impossibly high uh, because poetry is just, it is just, and I hate to use terms like high art, etc. It is a, it's a discipline which is well above lyric writing and um, it had for its scope and its potential and it's di- like, it's form. And as you say, no word is wasted and there isn't, you know, um, to me, the when I when you read a good poem, something you can read seven times, eight times, ten times, and you're finding you're unlocking little doors, um, time and time again. The depth that 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 you can put into into a poem is very very hard to put into into traditional lyrical songwriting. You know, so um, I'd love to I'd love to explore a, a, a freer form of lyric writing and and. and compensate for the song you know find a way to make that work and musically um, but it would be leaning into a kind of a spoken word tradition but I'd, you know I don't know I think so that it does inform it definitely and, and um, the, the brevity of, of, of a line you know when something is just in, in a matter of words uh, in a matter of just four or five words no word is wasted you, you can to communicate something that is perfectly concentrated down to you know whether it's a feeling or an experience uh, or like the touch or the smell of something the sight of something um uh, or a, or a, just so, something that would you could you could take pages to to describe that feeling but a good you know reading a good poem and finding that in just six words or in you know of a or a verse of of a poem that's st- stunning and it's it's far beyond what you know I think there's lyrics and then there's poetry, and they're they're in two different worlds, you know. So will I ever see a book of poetry? I mean, look, Leonard Cohen did both. Yeah, yeah. And by the way, it's funny because the first Leonard Cohen thing I fell in love with was not a song; it was actually the poem "You Do Not Have to Love Me." Mm. I don't know if you know that one. Mm-mm. Oh, it's freaking brilliant. I don't. Yeah. And then I went back and discovered his. Yeah, it's kind of yeah. Deserved, so, deserved. so will there ever be the Hosier book of poetry? I d- I don't know. I'd have to I'd have <laughs> to take a few years out. I think and like I if I was to go back to third level education, I would study literature or or poetry. I think. Um, but I would be very cagey. I think. I I think it. I. It's like you know. It's like when an. It's like when somebody. It's like when an actor goes like, I'm a musician now, and they decide to release an album of, of some kind. Yeah, it's it's a lovely and it's a lovely contribution maybe. But I think. There's there's a discipline to poetry, and I think people it's something that people dedicate their lives to, and I've, I've too much respect for it. I think to to, to try, just try my hand at it, you know. So that's a fascinating thing as well, and it's funny because this is something that's come up a lot of late, and this ties in with the podcast. And then I'm sure we'll have to wrap up in a second, but I'm not watching the time. But it's interesting because you know, like when you most artists have multiple disciplines at this point, mm-hmm. it's almost impossible to just be a musician. Mm-hmm. And even if you're successful as a musician, simply because of the creative outlet, whether it's fashion, whether it's painting. Yeah things of that nature. So it's because the way that things, but what I was going to say, it's fascinating. I found from talking with like friends like Brandon Boyd, for example, who does music and painting. Once you've had success in music, there's something very freeing about going into another endeavor. Yeah, maybe so. So I would imagine, you know, if you were to do poetry, even if you were to like, and that's, you know, it's funny because now you can just drop music online, right? Yeah, true. You can just throw poems on your Instagram. Yeah, true. Because it doesn't become a money endeavor. It's simply something that you're doing out of the love of it. Yeah, true. If I had a bit more time, I would. And I have written poetry, you know, and I have, I've, I've gathered things. But it's like, I just, I, and I know a few very talented poets, and I would be, I just, I would have to go to them for their honest, you know, critique. And I, I just want to make sure that the contribution is worthwhile. But yeah, it's very true. And I'm, if I was a gifted visual artist, I would be painting. But I'm absolutely shite with a paintbrush. So, uh, so maybe, maybe poetry. Yeah. 
All right. Well, I said I was going to ask you what musician you'd want on the show, on the podcast. Yes. But what is fascinating to me is, look, this is the thing that I enjoy is just sitting down and getting to talk to people about different and things. And when you have conversation, you tend to learn so much. So there are people that you've already interviewed that you, and it's funny because you may know Bono. I've interviewed Bono. Mm -hmm. Annie Lennox was the first guest on my TV show. Cool. She's wonderful. But the yeah. thing is, it's like when you cover someone's song, you hear new things in it. So when you sit down to interview them, mm -hmm. there's things that inevitably always come up. Yeah, yeah. So for you, what have been the things that you've really learned the most, that you've enjoyed learning, that you could then take to? And what's fascinating about it as well is you were talking about two of the best people of all time yeah. at mixing music and philanthropy. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know. I think this. I think Bono was like. I'm. I think it's, it's fascinating because like he, the amount. Like the work that Red and One do, they don't they don't get a lot. The actual on the ground success of what what the the figures let's say coming coming from from those endeavors, don't really get. They don't get uh, uh, um, half the publicity that, that they should. They're incredible results. Um, uh, Annie Lennox, like just a, just a wonderful uh, just a wonderful person, but a, a real sense of natural justice. Bono's kind of thing of like trying to be useful. Like, what's the point in all this success? What's the point in this platform if you can't be useful? I think it's a really wonderful philosophy, and uh, I think he's you know he's a, he's a man of, of a very strong faith as well too, which I think is 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 wonderful in its own way, and that that. Um, you know, he, he gets a huge amount of strength from that. And Lennox was super interesting. She was talking to me because one of the questions of what really what I loved knowing is like why. So you know, because we all could just do nothing. Also, let's say with philanthropists or people who are uh, in, in, involved in activism, you know, you could just do nothing too. So why why is it that you feel compelled to do this and that you, it would feel unnatural for you not to make make an, an, an effort? And it's just interesting hearing about that. Annie Lennox comes from, from an area of Scotland. Her grandparents, she said her granddad, like this was like the 20s, 30s. So like when, when like, I suppose the jackpot was coming down hard on labor unions and stuff like that. She was like, you know, from a working class family. So like her granddad, it's kind of ingrained, ingrained. Her granddad was like out fighting fascists on the streets, you know. So like, like literally in the street clashes when this, that was the time, you know, you had, you had factions of, of fascists going around and you had um, unions uh, having, to, having to stick together and, and having, to, having to suit up and kind of... Uh, uh, lest they be smashed, essentially and quite literally. So it was—it was just interesting and how that informed, just how that informed uh, her ideas of of injustice and, and kind of and and inequality, etc. Just was it was it was that was a cool chat, you know. Well, I know we've got to wrap up, but it's fascinating because it's funny. I think that you know, I have debates with people all the time about religious backgrounds mm -hmm. and things of that nature, and and you know how that plays into people's character and structure and all this. And it's funny because. This is something that just fascinates me. Having debated this with people, there is this idea of religion sort of propelling you to moral good. Mm -hmm. And yet I would say that in America, what we've seen is it's actually been the exact opposite of late. So for you then, what propelled you to the idea that you can do, you have to do something and not just do nothing? Because again, you could have also done nothing. Yeah. Um, I don't think, I think with, with what I'm doing with Global Citizen for that podcast of like, it's really just, it's just, it's just direct. It's just signal boosting what the good work that other people are doing, which I think is is good, and I think it's encouraging for people to know that there is good things can happen and good things too. Like th there is results to this. One guy, Nick Nick Grono, Freedom Fund, um, it deals with tackling modern day slavery. I had no idea how bad that issue was, 
and I had no idea how successful the model that they that they've just devised is is how that that's working. Stuff like that. So it's interesting to know that. But then, so if you can give a signal boost, even if at the very least. But then also, I think my my philosophy was, and, and I try do try to shake this at times because it's not a very n- nice one to live with. It's just the world is, is a kind of a shitty place, and um, and that the suffering of of people is as real as your own. And I think once you internalize that, that that other people. How the internal lives of other people are as rich and as complicated and as and as heavy and as devastating and as wonderful as your own and uh, once once you internalize that or try to internalize that and accept that um, the suffering of of other people is as real and as 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 awesome and as immeasurable as 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 what you imagine your own suffering to be and I think then that just that kind of forces you to kind of say well look like this is what can be changed and what is changeable surely you can you can make some fucking effort you know um i don't know and if you, if you if you have the ability to do so yeah but um i've just always been more fascinated with what's wrong with the world sadly than what's right with the world um which is a bit a bit frustrating at times but you know at least it it kind of just pushes you to you know if there's something you can do exactly but at least you try and do something about it versus a lot of people feel helpless totally or they feel like okay well there's just you know there's too much so yeah yeah totally Cool. I know we got to wrap up. Anything you want to add? I did not ask you about. No. Uh, no, it's good chat. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, mm-hmm. appreciate it. Yeah. Hey, this is Steve Balton, and you have been listening to my turning point with special guest today, Hosier from the Grammy Museum. Hope you enjoyed this one as much as we did. Thanks so much. Take me to church. Under Armour's Infinity High Sports Bra. Its ergonomic design is molded to support the natural movement of your body. With cord-out padding, the better breathability eliminates extra bulk without sacrificing support. And quick-dry padding is Under Armour's fastest-drying padding yet. When you're lifting heavy, running fast, and pushing yourself further than ever before, you need a bra that will help you go that extra mile and make you feel your best. Shop the Infinity High Sports Bra now at UA.com. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. 
Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any fantasy points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that fantasy points has to offer. That's fantasypoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. Fantasypoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points. 